Uh, we have a group from Northwest Bible Training Center. Like, yeah. They're always good and they're always vocal. And that's really nice. I just, uh, this is probably good. You can't see my face. That's, that's always an enhancement. Just a minute here. Yeah, David, that's better. You're, you're a good man. I wanted to tell you, just so you understand if you hear rumors, what kind of pastor you have. I say this partly for the guests. Uh, fruits of the Spirit, there's one or two that are lagging in my life. Uh, patience is one of them. And uh, I was, uh, for those of you who don't know, I have a 20-year-old, a 20-year-old, yeah, a radio program called The Final Word. I was over at Albertson's New Year's Eve, and, of course, everybody in America was over there crowding the aisles. And all, all I wanted was just some yellow vanilla ice cream. That's all I wanted. I wanted to get it and get out of the crazy place. And uh, we were in the middle aisle between where all the freezers were. And uh, there was a lady in front of me who was annoying the heck out of me. She came over there to study their offerings, whatever they were. And I didn't say anything, but I was wanting to say, lady, please, get it and go. Then it was my turn, and I couldn't find the yellow vanilla, but I was conscious of the people behind me pushing on me. And uh, I understood it because that's where I had just been. The man behind me was a nice-looking, pleasant-looking fellow. He kind of smiled at me when I looked at him. All of a sudden, I got tired of all this stuff, all these buggies and boxes that... Albertson said, put in the middle of the aisle. I said, don't you know what day this is? That's what I was saying. Get that stuff out of here. And all of a sudden, I just hauled off in my great patience. A big box there, and I just booted it clear across the aisle. And it went that way, and we all went this way. Everybody was glad. Well, then we got up to the checkout counter. I turned around, and that very same fellow was there. You're Jim Andrews, aren't you? The final word. <laughs> What can I say? <laughs> there was no defense. Yeah, what can I say? Your pastor out there setting a godly example before everybody. Well, uh, you knew I was quite imperfect, didn't you? Okay, we're in John chapter 6 as we continue our exposition. Go to John chapter 6, and I'm going to read uh, starting with verse 50, and then I'll tell you a backstory. and just, we'll start with verse 48. Jesus said, and he's talking mainly to people who are indifferent, mainly to people who are not friendlies at this point. He said, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. Now get that. They kicked the bucket. This referring to it as the bread which comes down out of heaven, that one may eat it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven, he emphasizes. If anyone eats of this bread, referring to himself, he shall live forever. And the bread also that I give for the life of the world. Now he says something that spooks a lot of them, reminds me of, any pastor who preaches the truth, you're going to do it. It's my flesh. 
your what? Your flesh. Jesus therefore began to, the Jews therefore began to argue with one another, verse 52. How can this guy give us his flesh to eat? Jesus therefore said to them, he doesn't tamp it down. Truly, truly, and when he says truly, truly, that's a Greek idiom. It means, I tell you emphatically and certainly. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, oops, and drink his blood, ick, you have no life in yourselves. It keeps it going, just like driving it in. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him, her, whoever it is, I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is true. Oh, gee, it's making me sick. My flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Oh, skip down to verse 59. The things, these things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Been there and seen the remains of that very synagogue. Well, let me tell you a Bible story. Very important is the backstory here. For 400 years, the Israelites, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, called the patriarchs, they lived by the divine plan. God told them this would happen. They would live in harsh servitude down in Egypt, the greatest empire for centuries of that era. God told Abraham that would happen. Eventually, under the weight of Pharaoh's brutal hand, they cried out for the God of their ancestors for relief. So God sent Moses, raised up Moses. There's a whole other story there. He raised up Moses to lead them out of Egypt to the land promised them, called the promised land. It was called Canaan at that time. Today, you know it as Palestine. Palestine comes from the word Philistines. To break the epic will of Pharaoh, and it was epic, God hits Egypt with ten ruinous judgments that mocked the so-called gods of the Egyptians, humiliated them. The Lord, through Moses, then led the Israelites into the wilderness, out of Egypt, en route to what would be a 40-year journey through wilderness country to Canaan. In that route, been there too. It's awful. In the course of that 40-year journey, their survival as a nation was challenged again and again. That was God's purpose. Each time they were threatened, God intervened miraculously to show forth his glory and his faithfulness to his promise. But Israel proved slow to learn and truly trust in God. One of those challenges more than once was, as you can imagine, lack of food and water in such desolate country. But the supply of food was the biggest challenge. When the people complained, God in his patience 
relieve the problem through supernatural intervention. Like what? Well, each morning, Israel would go out and collect in their baskets a wafer-like substance that tasted like honey, and it was perfectly nutritional. It was called what? Do you know what manna means? What is it? (laughs) That's where it got its name. In this narrative, the Jews, while Jesus was here on earth, they're picking up on his messianic claims, his claims to be the Messiah, the Christ. They're getting that. They're not buying into it, but they're getting it. So they've seen so many of the supernatural works of the Lord Jesus, but they can't be satisfied. So they've just seen, this is the backstory: Jesus feed the 5,000 from five loaves and two little fish. Well, now they want him to do more. That's not enough. We want you, if you claim to be the Messiah, to show that you're the new Moses. So, guy, what we want you to do is something really supernatural. We want you, like Moses, to give us a manna supply. We're all from West Virginia. We like to be on welfare. So rain it down, brother. And Jesus goes on to tell them three things. I've got news for you. You've got it all wrong. Moses did not produce that bread in the wilderness, that manna. But it was sent by the hand of God our Father. Two, that bread or manna could not sustain life, but the partakers of it, as you well know, they all died. Three, but God offers you, is offering you right now, boots on the ground where you stand. He's offering you true, genuine bread from heaven. It will sustain life forever, but you must receive that true bread, which is me. Well, now in verses 47 through 51, Jesus is telling them that in the case of those who were taught of God, I'll explain the phrase, it means in the case of those whose minds, whose wills, whose affections have been quick and made alive and informed by God's Spirit so that God's will is inscribed in their own spirits and not just in stone. Those whom the Father in heaven draws by His sovereign will, draws to His Son, In the future, they will find in Jesus, the sustainer of life, all this has gone before. Unlike that manna that you're begging me to produce like you say, Moses, I'm the very bread of life. I'm the source 
and sustainer of eternal life. Now, before I go anywhere else, I want to say a lot of visitors here. I don't know everybody here, but I know that among us, bound to be, always are. Bound to be men and women. Some of you may be religious, but you may be lost as a bunny rabbit. Some of you may never have really bowed at the feet of Jesus Christ and acknowledged him as the Savior of the Lord, the Lord of the universe. You've never really believed and trusted in his name. You are like these Jews. You're on a downhill track. And you must act before it's too late. Well, Jesus is the personal bread of life, unlike that bread that Israel received in the wilderness. That bread, as he pointed out earlier in this chapter, they ate and later died. It did not support eternal life. What is eternal life? Let's stop right there. I always hate to use language that's in any way technical and leave people in the dust. Eternal life is the life of God. From that life, the human race was disconnected at the fall of Adam back in Genesis. The umbilical cord was broken. Was broken. You come into this world. We come into this world without eternal life, disconnected from the life of God. That's why as you look around you, everything's going to hell in a handbasket. Not just here, all over the world. That's why you drink and you're still thirsty. That's why you eat and you're still hungry. That's why people out here, I always use this metaphor because I see it all the time looking out my office when people go, you know, on their cars and now their bikes running and doing, doing everything, got on their pretty little suits. Here they go. They're trying to find life and it ain't there. It's not there. You're never going to find it going that way. You're disconnected from the life of God, which means you're disconnected from eternal life. This is all you get. There's not going to be anything else. This is it. You must make a decision. You can't just stand and wait. God, do something. If you're real, you do something. No, 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 no. That's not the way it is. You do something. God has done it. He sent his son into the world to be an atoning sacrifice for my sins and for your sins. And if you don't act, you're going to pass into eternity. And you're not just going to be vaporized. You're going to be with the devil and his angels. I say that kindly, but firmly. Well, so Jesus says you need to partake of the bread of life, eternal life, in verse 51. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. He is the Son of God who became also the Son of Man. If anyone, who, you, him, her, they, the people you're with at work, if anyone, you see, it's an open invitation. God has excluded no one from this invitation. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord, all he is, will be saved. 
next move like chess. It's yours. If anyone eats of this bread, speaking personally, he will live for forever. And the bread which also also which I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Well, Christ in his person, to make it as simple as I can, he is that personal bread that accomplishes something that must be accomplished. There must, there's a disconnect right now with life and life eternal. A disconnect. The umbilical cord is broken. You're human. You're alive. You're kind of like a snake that's had its head cut off, but you're still wiggling. You're wiggling if you don't know Christ, but you're gone until you act. You're disconnected. What you need to do is accept the one who is the bread of life. You must eat his flesh. Well, what's that mean? What's that getting at? It means that he is a sacrifice. He died on a cross for your sin. And go back to the Old Testament, people who ate those, they ate those sacrifices. Jesus says, well, I'm the bread of life. Now you need to consume me. Embrace me. Take, consume me. I am a sacrifice that atones forever for your sins and sin. You see, we're first full of sin, and because we're full of sin, we're sinners. We live to please ourselves. We don't live to please God. We want our own way, not his way. We're naturally rebels. We naturally like darkness rather than life. We naturally migrate to lies rather than the truth. The only corrective for that is to partake of this atoning sacrifice, Jesus' flesh and Jesus' blood. Well, they were taking him in the most literal sense. And as I said, they had the ick factor going on. What's this cat talking about? He's sick. That's literally what they thought. Well... We read in verse 52, the Jews therefore began to argue with one another. The words are Greek word, makanto, a verb form, which means kind of to fight, fight with one another. They were all in a stew. How can this guy give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said, you better get used to what I'm saying. What he said to them, he's saying to you. If any of you think this is about believing in God, it's not the difference between atheism and theism. You can believe in God until the cows come home. All that means is that you're not an atheist. That doesn't mean that you've received Jesus, the Savior, who died on a Roman cross to be an atoning sacrifice for your sins. Doesn't mean you've received him. You've got to receive him. You've got to consume him. You've got to appropriate him as the Savior and as the Lord. That's what it means from the heart, not just repeats some dumb creed. Embrace him like that. 
Well, he goes on in verse 54 through 55. We've read it. I want to read it. It's so important. You would think that Jesus would do what I would do if I'm up here talking and I think you're understanding me. And all of a sudden I find out you're misunderstanding me. Once that becomes clear to me, what I or any half-sensible pastor would do is I say, whoa, 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 just a minute. You're not hearing me right. Let me take two steps backward. Time out. Let me run that by you again and make it a little clearer to you. That's what you do. Do you notice that Jesus doesn't? Isn't that remarkable? You would think that Jesus would say, oh, you're not getting it. I want you to get it. So let me unravel that and let's dig into it and let me make it just as simple, childlike simple as I can. Does it amaze you? that not only does he not do that, he almost seems to amp it up. And what they find offensive, it's, it's as if he says, oh, you find that offensive? Well, let me make it as clear as I can. And he doesn't do one thing, not one thing, to make it clear. Now, let me try to explain that to you. That doesn't mean you don't understand, but what's going on here? Jesus said this, and I run to it, you know, I run into it as a pastor lots of times. Not this same thing, but things like it. Jesus says, you remember what I told you before? No, verse 44 in this same chapter. I told you back there earlier that no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. He said, some of you are not getting it. If the Father were drawing you, that is, he was teaching you and informing your mind, if he was doing a work in the inner man, you'd get it. You wouldn't be offended. You wouldn't be put off. You would say, I don't like that guy. What's he about? I don't even want my kids around him and hearing that kind of language. We've even had people attend our church in years past who threatened to leave in a Sunday school class or something else because that kind of language was used. Nothing ever changes. So Jesus is saying, I'm telling you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. You don't like what you're hearing? It's because the Holy Spirit is not informing the heart and mind and giving you light. That's the real problem. I could stand up here. I could bring in songs and dance. I could bring in smoke and mirrors and everything else and just have this place going wild, everybody standing up, waving their hands and going crazy. I could have all this going on, all this media. You wouldn't get it. So I'm telling you the truth, the plain truth, and nothing but the truth. You're going to have to consume me. You're going to have to take me. No ifs, ands, and buts about it. You're going to have to get over your pride. You're going to have to get over self. You're going to have to say, I am a sinner. 
and I need to have my sins atoned for. And that is only through my self-sacrifice. So I'm not backing off of my language. I'm repeating it and saying it three times. Whoever will eat my flesh and drink my blood will receive eternal life. Otherwise, you won't. So in verse 57, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also shall live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate in the wilderness, but he who eats this bread shall live forever. Folks, you can go to church Sunday after Sunday, seven days a week, and you can come in and do churchy things. You can even join Bible studies, go to prayer meetings, men's groups, women's groups, and sing songs, praise songs, join in. But the bottom line is, what have you done with Jesus? Nobody is saved because they come to Lake Bible Church. Nobody is unsaved because they don't. You can have religion up to your gills. Religion is not a bad thing, but it's got to be the right one. It's got to be biblical religion. The religion of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'm just trying to get across to some who may not know. Probably most of you do. You can't just sit there or sit out there. A lot of people who listen to my radio program, they don't even attend church. Some because they can't, some because they just don't want to. They're lazy. None of that's going to help. You can walk in this church and give a million dollars. That won't impress God in heaven one little bit. This is a personal thing between you and the Father in heaven who sent his only begotten Son into the world that you might believe in him and be saved and have everlasting life. Well, now let me backtrack a little bit, not in this message, but other messages. What does it mean to believe in him? It means to trust in him. Many of you played sports. You had coaches. And coaches had their principles if they were good coaches. And sometimes they would send a play on the field you thought was dumb. 
but if you trusted in your coach, what would you do? You would say, oh, I'm not going to do that. If you're the quarterback, I'm going to call my own play unless I see a lineup in front of me, in which case I have permission to change the play. Now, if you trust in your coach and it's fourth down time running out and you say, coach, we need to go for it. Coach says, punch the stupid ball. You punt the stupid ball, even though it's against your instincts. When it comes to the things of God, you believe God. You believe the Lord Jesus Christ. You trust in him implicitly. That's what it means. It means from this day forward, you go out that door and you go into the corridors of life. And you find his will, not your will. You find his values, not your values. You say, well, I don't understand certain things that the Bible teaches. Okay, check that. I'll come back to that later. I'm going, For now, I'm going to trust him. Take his word for it. You see, if you don't know him all your life, you've been living it, just like the young lady said, your own way, doing your own thing. We who are believers, if we are believers, if we're serious and not just superficial disciples, we who are believers, that's our life. Oh, sometimes we get it wrong. The Lord didn't tell me to kick that box. (laughs) That was just the flesh getting to me and saying, hey, Albertson, how could you be so dumb? And leave all this stuff out here with a million people trying to get through these out. Uh, That wasn't the spirit of God. That was the spirit of Jim. And once in a while, we believers, we get out of line. But we come back in line because we want to trust him. We want to walk with him. Now, you need to do something. And the something you need to do is like if you were going to the military. You go down to the recruiting station. You say, take me. Well, the recruiting station's right in front of you. You say, take me to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you say, I want to do what these folks did here this morning. What Rhea did. I want to stand before God and everybody, the Father in heaven, and before our Lord Jesus Christ and say, you are the bread of life. I don't understand everything. But I've been taught of God. There's there's a voice, not a voice you can hear, but there's a voice down here that says, in spite of all the contradictions in the culture, tells me this is the truth and I want to walk in. He is the truth. He is the way. He is the truth and he is the life. Don't ask me to explain everything. I just know that I've been taught of God, and I'm coming to you. There's a song that we hardly ever sing anymore, but it was sung a lot when I was a youth. Just as I am, how many of you remember that? Look at there. Just as I am without one plea, I come to thee, I come to thee. And that's what we did. That's what most of us in this building have done. Well, you say, yeah, but so many of these people are hypocrites. Tell me. 
tell me one institution, one enterprise that you know of, and one occupation, doctors, lawyers, engineers, accountants, politicians. Tell me one of those entities or enterprises that's not full of hypocrites. And let me tell you, you, the person who makes that charge, you're a hypocrite too. You're pretending that you don't need God. You don't need this Jesus stuff. That you're just fine without it. You're pretending that you're a good person. God says you're not. He says I'm not. None of us is natively good. None of us loves For example, let's get concrete about that. Our congregations heard me say this. You have never you have never loved the living God for five seconds in your entire life. You have never for five seconds loved your neighbor as yourself. Do you know what the sum of the law of God is? It's not a list of Ten Commandments. Do you know what those Ten Commandments all me all summed up? Jesus said this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind. You've never done that. And if you live from now till you're 200, you will never do it. Not unless you are born again. Not unless you receive the eternal life that comes from the bread of life. You've never done it. And do you know what the wages of sin is? The wages of sin is, spell it, D-E-A-T-H. You're on that track. In fact, you're already dead. You're not waiting to find out, my friend, not waiting to find out if you're going to be condemned. Jesus said you're already condemned. The end of John chapter 3, he that does not believe in the Son is already, you know, you know, you're just waiting for the sentence to be passed. It's like somebody's been convicted in court of capital murder. You're already convicted. The judge just hasn't passed the sentence. That's all you're waiting on. I'm trying to impress on you if you don't know Jesus Christ. There's a decision to be made. Well, somebody says, Pastor, what was that you said back there a little bit ago? You read it up there. No one can come to him except the Father draw him. Well, God, you're a move. If you don't draw me, it's not my fault. And when I face you on the last day, I'll say, hey, you didn't draw me. Let me tell you about that. He says, whosoever will may come. Do you fall under that umbrella, whosoever will? Are you a whosoever? Jesus says, every man that will receive the bread of life will inherit eternal life. God's made his move. If you aren't drawn by God in the end, it's because you wouldn't be drawn. It's because your affections, your affinities were for the things of the world. They were selfish. Oh, not selfish necessarily towards your mother, your brother, and all of that, though that may be too. But you basically were not a person who loved your neighbor as yourself. You may love that neighbor, but not one who doesn't love you. 
See, we're all sinners that way. We're all messed up that way, including yours truly. I needed a covering for my sin, still do. And that covering is Jesus Christ, who shed an atoning sacrifice for me. And the result of that is he's the bread of life. He gives you life that will sustain you. I go back. You have that hunger, that hunger in you. I'm old enough to see a lot of things that younger people don't see. I'm a people watcher. And I watch them just run and go. Now, I say this as somebody who is involved in sports deeply. I say, run, sports, go, go, go. I watch TV and watch the ads, and here they all are out there getting all this equipment. Get get fit, get fit. I'm up sometimes in the middle of the night. I see those long ads, get fit. Sweat, oh, boy, get get fit for what, to die? Do you realize... Those of you who have not received the bread of life, do you realize that you're at least 30 minutes deader than you were when you came in this room? Do you realize the minute you began to breathe, the minute you began to breathe, you began to die? Think about that. You're sitting there in your seats. You're dying. Dying. And you need life, eternal life. This body's going to go, whoop. When I passed out in the pulpit several weeks ago, many of you thought, he's gone. <laughs> Sorry, he's back. <laughs> he's back to haunt you. You're dying. You need a Savior. You need bread that will sustain you. Oh, you can order all these things. They will take away the pain in your hands and the pain in your knees. And You're 56 years old and you'll feel like you're 26 years old. No, you won't. It's an illusion. You're dying. Did I come here for this? Whatever happened to feel-good preachers? <laughs> well, I'm telling you the truth, as Jesus told you. I want you to have life. I want you to have life and that eternal. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and the life. Now, make a decision. If you don't make a decision, you condemn yourself. If any of you would like to talk to me or talk to David or talk to... Pastor John, if any of you want to do that, or any of our elders, Mike, raise your hand back there. Any of our elders, they're around here somewhere. I think they came to church. <laughs> Don, they're all around. We can get you to them. You want to talk to anybody about making this? Not today necessarily, any day. We've got phones. We've got emails. We'd love to talk to you. But I'm here to tell you in the name of the living God, in behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ, you need the bread of life desperately. Remember that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the living bread that the Father sent into the world that we might have 
eternal life, not like manna that did not sustain, only sustained life temporarily. We need the life that sustains us forever, and he is the living one. So, our Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit would do what I cannot do, that he would teach the hearts of people in front of me who may not know him, and that you would draw them to him. We thank you for those who have publicly confessed his name and been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray your blessing and your protection would be upon them. We ask it all. In the name of our Savior, amen.